0: with you about an incredible God. In fact, today is the final sermon in our three-sermon series that's been focused on getting a comeback. I talked about an an incredible experience, and an incredible story, and now an incredible God. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. What we'll learn, and we have learned already just by living, is that The God of the Bible, the God of the world, is incredible. He's incredible in his love, he's incredible in his mercy, and he's also incredible in his creation. The universe is too orderly for us to think that there is no God. In fact, when I think about how incredible God is, my mind goes to the oxpecker bird. This bird has this symbiotic relationship with the rhinoceros. It lives by eating ticks, lice, and parasites that affect rhinos. They also, these birds, make a loud hissing sound to warn the rhino of things the rhino may not see. And scientists are still studying this unusual relationship. Think about it. These ticks and parasites can draw blood And cause disease to take place in the rhino. And the rhino can't get them off its back. But the ticks can. And just think about how incredible God is to have thought about those things. Those little things. To say, I want my rhinos to be parasite and tick free. And I want you to consider how can this incredible God invade your life. In areas that you can't help yourself to demonstrate his love for you. I want to bring you to the life of Joshua and show you how God demonstrated how incredible he is. Look at verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Let's take a stop there because I'm going to be reading through the, verse, the first nine verses. But I'm going to break it up so you can see things that you would not see if we just rushed right through. Because each time we stop, we're going to see God, how incredible He is at work. And this first scene that I bring you to is the fact that we see that this incredible God, he's always at work around you. God breaks into Joshua's private, private musing and thoughts and his time of grieving. The children of Israel were grieving for 30 days when Moses had passed. And Moses, as you know, was the this leader, this phenomenal leader that led the children of Israel out of Egypt, where they had been enslaved for 400 years, Moses led over a million Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness. His goal was to bring them to the promised land. But Moses, he fell short of that goal. And he fell short because he was disobedient to God. God told him, I want you to speak to this rock, and when you speak to it, water will gush out of it. Moses was so angry at the people, he struck the rock. And God says, you didn't represent me properly before the people. Your anger makes the people feel like I'm angry with them. And I don't like that. So you're not going to go into the promised land. So Moses passed away. Now this was a trip to get to the promised land from Egypt, normally 11 days. It ended up being 40 years. Why? Why? People were disobedient, they were sinful, they were grumbling, they were complaining. It is amazing that some things that can take really, really short, we lengthen them because murmur, complain, sin, disobedience, and all the other bad stuff that we human beings are prone to do. Wave at me if you're still with me. But we learn from these two verses this particular point. God is always at work around you. When when, when I say that, what I mean is that Joshua is grieving, and rightly so. God interrupts his grieving process and says, Hey Joshua, Moses is dead. I'm still alive. Moses is dead. His work is unfinished. I am calling you into that work. In fact, I've gone ahead of you. I've prepared things. I have a dream for the Israelites. I've I've, I've prepared. And so I want you to know that I'm always at work around you. It is amazing. Sometimes we think that what we know is all that exists. God is always at work around you. One German theologian says, God is always previous. You get there, and you think you're the first to arrive. (laughs) You look around, and you realize God was there already preparing for you. God is always at work around you. He's at work right now in regards to your career, in regards to your children, in regards to your grandchildren. And you may say, I I have no children. I don't have any grandchildren. And I'm saying to you, that doesn't negate the fact that God is always at work around you, getting you ready for what He has already gotten ready for you. It is amazing. I mean, the the things that God... I, I had no idea that God was at work around me, even before I was unsaved. In the Ireland household, there are four children, and my dad was an accountant, my mother was the consummate educator. She was uh, in charge of the consultants for the city of New York in early childhood development. And so she was this... And, you know, this academic that made us kids write essays when we go to play baseball, when we go out fishing, we had to write essays. It, would grade, it was graded for grammar, punctuation, syntax. I would be punished if I spoke and my siblings spoke in slang in the house. I can't even speak in slang when I try. My, my, my wife says to me, honey, don't, don't, don't say that. It doesn't come out right. It doesn't sound right. I, I mean, I tried to be like one of the cool kids. It just didn't work. But I didn't know that during those days, and I hated it, by the way, and, then, and then, then as I grew and, and matured and, and then got in college and grad school and post-grad and all this other stuff, and then I'm writing books, and I can write a book in two weeks. I just take time off and, and I just write it. And, I'm, and I didn't realize God was investing certain skills and gifts in me when I didn't even know it. He's always at work around you. When I was in Uganda a couple of weeks ago with Compassion International, we visited the home of this mom that had, I believe was eight children, one of which was accepted by the Compassion International program to fund her education and her preparation for a vocation and health needs and educational needs we visited our home, small little home. I'm standing in front of it, and the home, it's small as if this little pit over here where the percussion instruments are, and about 12 people live there. And when we sat in front of this mom with a translator, we asked her this question, what's your dream for your children? She got misty-eyed and started talking about what she wants to see take place with her children. See, God puts dreams in our hearts because God is always at work around you. Regardless of the level of income or the lack thereof, it doesn't negate this fact. God is always at work around you. And so he has a dream for you, and he has a dream for your children. And may I suggest, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, when you invite him into your life, you then get hooked up to his dream for your life in a way that it causes you now to be able to be obedient to what what he's called you to do, what he's assigned for your life, and what what, what he's been at work for in regards to your life. And at the end of my teaching time I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life and then as then connect with God's dream for your life. So I come back to Joshua's story. And verse 3 tells us, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. And from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does that tell me? God invites you into his work. So not only is it work around you, God breaks into Joshua's grieving and offers this incredible invitation. Join me, he's telling Joshua, in bringing the Israelites into the promised land. What Moses didn't fulfill, what he didn't complete, what he didn't finish, I want you to participate with me to bring my people into the land I promised them. And so Joshua's learning this from God speaking to his heart. And it's amazing how God can speak to our hearts about things that he has for us to do and really is saying, I want you to partner with me. I want to partner with you. I want you to to connect with me because I have things that I want to accomplish and I can easily do it by myself. I can easily do it with others. But I don't want to. I want to do it with you. And he speaks to our hearts. For some of us, we learn of what God is inviting us into by way of God dropping a thought in our heart, or a nagging idea, or a burden, or sometimes a prophetic word. Mother Teresa, she discovered that God was inviting her into his work by hearing Jesus say to her, I thirst. In fact, she said that she heard the Lord say, I thirst for the souls of the poor people in the streets of India who never had a chance to know God and so motivated by the thirst of Jesus on the cross Mother Teresa begins this religious order in 1950 with herself as the only member And today, still motivated by the thirst of Jesus, the missionaries of charity, that was the name of the order. They have some 4,500 nuns serving in over 130 countries. And in each of the chapel, there's a statement next to the cross and next to Christ on the cross where it says, I thirst for you. I'm simply pointing out that when Jesus calls us, he invites us into this work. And there may be some way he's calling you into a work something that he's saying to you that's significant. So, in each of us, the calling is so different. He may call you to be an accountant. He may call you to be an IT person. He may call you to be a nurse. He may call you to be an administrator. He may call you to be someone that's good with your hands. And when you do that, you need to recognize Jesus is inviting me to participate with him in some work. And I need to have that mindset. This martyr, famous martyr by the name of Richard Wormbrand, he says, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. This is when he was imprisoned in Romania. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted there the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. I mean, what a perspective. See, a lot of times we think that when Jesus calls us, he calls us into this lush life. Everything is easy. Everything should be nice. Every day should be wonderful. Everything should be peachy keen. Everything should just be so enjoyable. It's all about me. Jesus calls me because it's all about me. No. Don't be like the donkey that Jesus rode going into Jerusalem when he heard all those people crying out Hosanna, he thought they were talking to him. (laughs) It's not about you, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And he invites us into his work. And not only is God at work, God is always at work around us. God invites us into his work and then God equips us for his work. When God has work to do, He will either find or make instruments fit to carry out His work. And when I look at verse 6, the scripture says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. It is amazing, God looks at Joshua and says, This guy is is very inexperienced as a primary leader. He was, a, he was Moses' aide, Moses' servant. He'd make sure Moses' clothes were clean. He'd make sure that if Moses had tell, said, said things to different people, hey, Moses, why don't you go, or rather Moses would say, hey, Joshua, why don't you go and tell so-and-so this? Why, why don't you go and do this? So he was assisting Moses. Before Moses passed, Moses made Joshua his successor. But Joshua was still inexperienced. And then God speaks to Joshua. He sees his experience as a leader. He sees his his immaturity as a primary leader to lead a million people into the promised land. And so what Jesus does, he then starts to equip Joshua and he focuses strictly on the area of courage. Courage, when you look at it in in its etymology or etymological background, the history of the word, the foundation of the word, it comes from the Latin and it means heart. Jesus wanted to invest in Joshua' heart, spirit, temperament, a warrior's mentality. In the old timers say, "Stick to itiveness." I want to give you this perspective: that you won't be a quitter. So many people nowadays they, they don't know what it's like to go through. They don't know what it's like to, to say, okay, I'm gonna stand in there and I'm gonna stand. I don't care if it gets difficult. I'm gonna stand in there my marriage, and when it gets rocky, I'm gonna work through it so I can have a healthy marriage. I'm gonna stand in there with my kids so even if they're doing things that I don't like, I don't like, don't appreciate, I'm gonna walk them through it. I'm not gonna quit on them just because it's rocky. I'm gonna stand with my church so that when we go through difficult things, I'm gonna go be able to go through. They can depend on me. See, I don't like individuals who think that Christianity, it's all about me, and it should simple and easy. Never, never is it like that. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and lay down your life for me. And Joshua now is tasked. Joshua, the three things I'm going to do for you, Joshua, to help you have courage. First, I want you to have the perspective. By going into the promised land and defeating those individuals, living in those territories, you're helping me fulfill a promise I made to your predecessors. This is not about you and it's not about now. It's about people that lived hundreds of years ago in Egypt and prior to that, Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob. All the things I spoke to Abraham, all of that hinges on what you do. So I want you to have the perspective that you're going in, you can't quit because you have to think about others. See, the same way it's that you have to think about others. I remember I was speaking at this place in, I think it was Ohio, and we're sitting around at the table, a dinner table, with some of the leaders of this particular group. And one lady said, you've come here many times. Every time you come here, you always bring someone. Why, why do you travel with, with somebody else? And the guy was sitting there. Because when my wife can't go, I take one of the men. I said, because I have a, I have a responsibility that I can't allow false accusations, I can't allow rumors to take place in regards to me because my character is what sets me in a place of responsibility. I have thousands of people I have, to, I have to be able to represent. I have people whose jobs hinge on my character. And so I take someone with me, So someone who's godly, someone with good reputation, good integrity, because they're going to be able to stand next to me. Someone wants to take a picture with me, they're standing right there. Because no one is going to be able to say, I don't want, I don't want someone to say, hey, David Ireland did this, he did that. No, 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 no. So I, I want you to think about the idea that you have others in your life. Your children they, they, they bank on you doing the right thing. When you fight the battles that you're supposed to fight and win those battles, it makes your children's lives easier. There's some battles I've had to fight as a man because my dad never fought them. He never fought them and won. He never even fought them, never even recognized their battles. And so when I stepped into manhood, there are things that I brought with me as baggage that I didn't shouldn't have brought. But because I was never trained, never instructed, never guided, then I had to learn to deal with those things. And thank God for the godly men in the church that showed me how to love my wife, how to love my kids, how to model what it means to be a Christian in those moral areas and ethical areas of your life and relational areas of your life. What I'm saying is that what Jesus was telling Joshua, Joshua if you want to be involved in my work, I'm going to equip you for my work. You have a deficit in of courage. What's going to give you courage is perspective. You're not going into the promised land to fight just for you. There are others just before you and there are others coming after you that your fight, your battle will embolden you see it's about heart it's about spirit it's about temperament and I'm saying to you sir don't let any kind of sexual impropriety be named among you too much is at stake you're representing yourself and your family and your children and your children's children don't crash and burn because others value and others destiny hinges on you doing the right thing The second thing involved in this, he says to, to, to Joshua, Joshua, he says to him, he said, look, obey my word, meditate on it. So here we're seeing that when you obey God, it gives you courage because it puts the ball in God's court. See, imagine if you play basketball and I, I never played, it, I stink. And so if you, if you played basketball and you dribble, I do know some basketball terms, you dribble the ball. And when you, and God's on your team, and you pass the ball to God, that means that your role ends. You pass it to God, the ball's in God's court. When God asks you to do something and you obey it, obey him, it's passing the ball to him. It's now on God. When God tells Joshua, Joshua, you know, I want you to be strong and courageous. What God was saying to Joshua is I want to equip you. He says, here's what I do. He says, obey my law. Listen to what I've said through Moses, listen to my recorded word, listen to my commandments, heed them, follow them, you know, make sure you adhere to them, align yourself with them. And when you do that, here's what we're getting, the benefit, we're getting courage. Why do you get courage? Because you now say, I've done all I can do, and I've done all that I'm supposed to do. God, I pass the ball to you. The third thing that God was saying to Joshua by way of I'm going to equip you in my work is that I want you to be able to you, know, to, you know, to not only obey the word, but he says I want you to meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. The word meditate means to chew the cud like a cow does. You ever drive out in the country and you see a cow grab some grass with its mouth and it chews it and it swallows it, and it brings it back up, chews it some more, swallows it, brings it back up. It goes through the process a number of times. That's what meditation is. Meditation is when you get a passage of scripture that speaks to, to a promise that God has for you, that speaks to some aspect of your destiny, that speaks to some trial that you're going through, and you want to have the sense of courage to overcome it, and you just meditate on that word. You just, just memorize the word, and you repeat the word, and you look at the word, and you pray over the word, and as you do that, Courage is the byproduct of the word being meditated upon. And so God tells Joshua, Joshua, I want to not only I'm always at work around you, and not only do I invite you into my work, I'm gonna equip you for my work, I'm gonna feed your courage, and I feed it by you getting perspective about others and you also understanding the value of what it means to obey my word and then understand the benefit of meditating on my word. I want you to see this God that we serve is powerful. That's why Romans 12, verse 2 puts it this way. Don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you'll know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to Him. How does He change the way I think? When I meditate on His Word. I process the Word. I drink in His Word. I read the Word. I study the Word. I pray over the Word. All of a sudden, my mindset starts to change. There's aspects of your life that need to change. You know it. People tell you about it. You also know about it. Then there are things you have to do. One of the solutions, start meditating on the Word. Start praying over the Word. Start reading the Word and watch the Word change you. So what we've seen already from these verses that comes out are these principles. We've seen that God is always at work around you. God invites you into His work. God equips you for His work. And then God joins you in His work. It's amazing how He does that. Some people invite you into their work and then they walk away. Not God. Verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Look at that. God promised Joshua, I'll join you in the work. He tells Joshua, "Don't be afraid, Joshua, you're not doing this on your own. I've commanded you to do this. So when we go in into Hittite country, I'm there with you. You ever see people where are they're real sports fanatics? I mean, you'll talk to them, and they may have been watching you know, the Yankees, and they'll say, "Yeah, we won yesterday." I say, well, "What do you mean we won? I mean, you're sitting in your living room. You can't play baseball. You can hardly spell the word. And now you say, we won. So, yeah, we won. They're part of this whole experience. They're part of the team. They, some of them even watch it with their cap on. They, they just, they're just part of it. Now, I'm, I'm one of those Yankee fans, and I hardly watch it, though. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Even though I, I wear a Yankee cap, you know, I was in Cuba a number of years ago. And I was supposed to be there for 10 days in this hotel I stayed one night. Next morning, they called me to the front desk and they said, Sir, you have to leave the hotel. I said, I'm registered for 10 days. They said, A the baseball team's coming here, and we think you're with, you're with the Yankees. And you're going to try to recruit some of these players. We want you to leave the the hotel. They kicked me out of the hotel. I didn't even have a Yankees cap on. I guess it's emblazoned on my chest, Yankees fan. But the idea is that I want you to know that Jesus is saying to Joshua by way of Scripture, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. And so he's saying, I'm going to join you in the work. You won't be working by yourself. God is saying, I will be with you. I will be with you wherever you go. Victory is assured, not because you're self-confident. See what God is saying to Joshua Joshua, self confidence can blind you. I know a lot of people, they have self confidence. I can do this. But what God was asking of Joshua is not self confidence. He said, Let me give you courage and I'll go with you. So when I'm with you, you're not there on your own strength. You're not there on your own intellect. You're not there because of your own gifts. You're not there because of your own self confidence. You're there because I'm with you. I've made a promise. I made a way. And I'm working alongside of you to bring about my will and my result. Don't let your wisdom blind you or let your talent blind you to get so self-confident. It's really cockiness and pride. Don't let pride blind you. And pride is very blinding. And so what God was telling to Joshua, Joshua, victory is assured not because of self-confidence but because of divine presence. I'm working alongside of you." It was a couple days ago, Tyler Smith and Heather Brown, two teenagers, went for a swim off of Villano Beach in Florida on Thursday, April 18th, when they realized that they might not come back to the shore because these two 17-year-olds got caught up in a current that pulled them two miles away from the shore. They waded, they shivered, they, you know, in, in this water that's uncontrollable, it's turbulent, they're holding on to each other, and then all of a sudden, Tyler cries out, if you, referencing God, really do have a plan for us, like, come on, just bring something, you know how teenagers speak, that's how he prayed. <laughs> and in short order... A boat named Amen (laughs) comes to where he is. Can you imagine that? And the captain, Eric Wagner, he tells people, he said, over all the wind, all the waves, all the, the sound of the boat's engine, we were able to hear the voice of these two teenagers. And then when Tyler and Heather were being interviewed on one of the morning programs, Here's what they shared, from us crying out to God for him to send someone for us to keep living and a boat named Amen, there's no way that it wasn't him, wasn't God, Tyler declared. Isn't that pretty powerful? God joins you in his work. So I want to encourage you, invite him into your work. Invite Him. I don't care what your job is. Invite God to work with you. Invite Him into your relationship. Invite Him into the, you know, to the areas that you struggle with. Don't go do it by yourself. And even in areas where you're very gifted and very talented, ask God, come on, God, I can even do more and be more effective and more successful if you come and work with me. I want to work with you, God. And so may I suggest these four little principles, let them be at work in your life. God is always at work around you. God invites you into his work. God equips you for his work. And God joins you in his work. Praise God for how God joins us.